And if the devil can make a Christian think, well, there's no one else that's going through what I'm going through, and no other Christian ever had to endure the things that I'm enduring, then that becomes a recipe for discouragement. The other strange thinking that many people pick up is that the providence of God is failing them. God has promised to provide. He has promised to go before us, to guide us, to direct us. He's our shepherd. We shall not want. And here I am in trouble, opposed, reproached. Where is my God? Thank you for joining with us on Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and it is a great privilege to bring God's Word day by day to you. And I hope this message on 1 Peter 4, 16, suffering as a Christian, that it will encourage your heart. I have a few thoughts I just want to share with you uh, on this passage. Let's let me read the passage again. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Now this poses the question, of course, is why in this world are so many people intolerant of Christians? And you will see that uh, the world seems to mesh with the religions of the world, the uh, New Age movement, the various major religions of the world seem to fit into the world very, very readily. Well, of course, Christianity in its purest form is a religion of separating from the world and from its sin and ungodliness. The world is lost. The world is on the broad road to destruction. The world is at enmity with God. And when we are converted, well, we're like a fish that is going against the current. We are not swimming with the current of the world anymore. We're cutting against it. We are called to live separate from the ungodly, wicked, vile ways of this sinful world. And of course, because we seek to uphold purity, honesty, righteousness, then the Christian will be opposed. That's a given. And if you expect that you can live for Christ, fly the flag of your identity as a born-again believer seeking to live a godly life, if you think you can do that without meeting the opposition of the world, well, you can't. And New Testament Christians found that, and this is why Peter was writing to them. Also, what should a Christian do who is opposed and threatened? Well, the advice that we discovered here in 1 Peter 4 is, Firstly, do not think it's strange, and do not think that you're all alone. Did you know that around the world today there are countless Christians suffering for the gospel? Some are in prison, some have lost their homes, some are exiled into foreign countries, some are facing starvation. I think of uh, professing Christians in North Korea. What a terrible, terrible regime to be under, and facing hard labor and even execution to be opposed to the, the God, ungodliness in that country. And we need to pray for these people, and we need to realize that when you suffer as a Christian, that it's not a strange thing. This is not something that uh, you should feel personally guilty about. And that's why Paul says you should not suffer as a murderer or as someone who has done wrong 
as a thief or an evildoer or as a busybody in other people's matters, but rather you should suffer with a sense of, I've done the right thing. I've stood up for the Lord Jesus. I've honored his name. I'm, I'm standing for truth, and I'm doing the thing that is right and pleasing to my heavenly Father. And of course, the Lord Jesus, when he came into the world, he came not to please himself and not to please men, but to please his heavenly Father. And what did they do to the Lord Jesus? Well, at first there was a following until they grasped the implications of the gospel, and then many men forsook him. And we know that they arrested and they crucified the Son of God. They plotted and schemed for his murder. And we ought not to be dis- uh, surprised when we are called to pay a price to be a Christian. And that's the reality. There is a cost. Jesus said that we are to take up our cross and to follow him. So I hope that these words enlighten and encourage. May the Lord be your strength and help and be with you. Thank you for being a part of our program today. Oh, the seasons come and go, summer sun and winter snow. Though the passing years to earth their changes land, there is one whose love so free for all time will changeless be. Jesus always is the same true friend. Jesus is my dearest friend every day. Jesus is my dearest friend come what may. Tongue or pen could never tell how much he loves me. Jesus is my true and dearest friend. Time's swift current onward glides. There is nothing which abides. Through the fleeting years all things must surely end. Friends may fail or faithless be, but there's one who cares for me. Jesus always is the same true friend. Jesus is my dearest friend every day. Jesus is my dearest friend, come what may. Tongue or pen could never tell how much he loves me. Jesus is my true and dearest friend. Then while time speeds on its way, Let us live from day to day To be those on whom the Master can depend For though nothing shall endure Of this truth my heart is sure 
Jesus always is the same true friend. Jesus is my dearest friend every day. Jesus is my dearest friend come what may. Tongue or pen could never tell how much he loves me. Jesus is my true, my dearest friend. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Gallagher, and we're turning now to our message for today from the pulpit of our Free Presbyterian Church on 1 Peter chapter 4.16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. And the author of Hebrews goes on on that line and then gets into chapter 11, and he talks about the great worthies of uh, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and right down the line to people who suffered, suffered life, limb, property, all for the gospel, all for their faith in the Lord. And so that's the kind of world where these Christians lived and were seeking to bear testimony for the Lord Jesus. Now, coming back to 1 Peter 4, and verse 12, you'll notice how Peter addresses these Christians. He says to them in verse 12, Beloved, beloved. Peter comes to them with a fatherly heart to encourage, to come alongside. Now, he's going to have some very hard things to say to them, but he does it in love. And I think we can all learn from this as believers and as we seek to be an encourager of those who go through difficult things. Nothing is ever gained through harshness. Christians need to be loved. And as you think of these poor souls as they came out of Judaism, declared that they were now a Christian, the opposition, the hostility, the, the violence that they faced in their cultures— and then to come into the circle of God's people, they needed that fervent charity that Peter wrote off in this chapter. Have fervent charity among yourselves, brotherly love. That ought to be the atmosphere of the church, because in the world, there just isn't any of that. And in some ways, the world in which we live is not much different. Perhaps where you work, Perhaps even in your greater family circle, there's not much encouragement for you. In fact, they wonder why you ever want to be a Christian, and they would seek to pull your flag down and to have you to go back to the world. And so the church, the fellowship of the saints, is to be a place of encouragement, a place of ministry, and a place of help. Now, on down this chapter, as we uh, get back here to 1 Peter 4 and stick to these words that Peter has for these suffering Christians, 
You'll notice that Peter, firstly, he counters the strange thoughts of Christians in suffering. Now, in verse 12, he is saying, count it not strange. And he is saying that it's to be fully expected. What you're going through, this hostility that you're enduring, these hardships, it's not a strange thing. It is the lot of Christians in this fallen, sinful world that is no friend to grace. Now, the strange thinking that many people pick up when going through these things is, first of all, they think they're going through it alone. And that's often the devil's isolation tactic. And if the devil can make a Christian think, well, there's no one else that's going through what I'm going through, and no other Christian ever had to endure the things that I'm enduring, then that becomes a recipe for discouragement. The other strange thinking that many people pick up is that the providence of God is failing them. God has promised to provide. He has promised to go before us, to guide us, to direct us. He's our shepherd. We shall not want. And here I am in trouble, opposed, reproached. Where is my God in the midst of these trials? And Peter addresses that. And of course, the promises of the Lord. Many Christians get the idea that once you become a Christian, you're going to escape every little bit of trouble in this world, that you will have blue sky days all the way to heaven, and that you will never be opposed. Now, sometimes evangelists are to blame for giving that impression to uh, people whom they invite to be Christians. And in their whole method of evangelism, they try to paint a very rosy picture that it's going to be an easy life as a Christian. Well, the Lord Jesus never promised an easy life. He promised a cross. He promised reproach, that we would be as the offscouring of the world. And that's the thinking that we need to adopt. Also, this fiery trial, so painful, so hurtful, so hard to bear that it severs family. And sometimes it can even sever husband and wife. One gets converted, one gets on fire for God, and the other partner says, I can't take this. Or a son or daughter, a teenager in the home, becomes a Christian, and all they get at home is discouragement. It could work in many different angles, and it's very painful. I have known young people to be cast out of homes, turfed out, told never to come back until they give up their notions about Christianity. In my course of visitation this week, I visited a home where I was given a big stack of old magazines and booklets, and they said, Ian, just use whatever is helpful to you. Well, I went through that, and I found a little book called Peden the Prophet. I've read the story before in the Scottish uh, history, but uh, this little book focused upon the ministry of one man during the Covenanter years in the 1600s. During that period, which was really a second Reformation, because 
Scotland had two reformations. The first was under men like John Knox and Patrick Hamilton in the 1500s. Then, a hundred years later, uh, there was great opposition to the preaching of the gospel, and uh, for about 50 years, men took this solemn covenant that they would never give up the gospel, and they would never attend preaching that was not biblical. Well, in 1660, this is after the death of Oliver Cromwell, Charles II was brought to the throne, and uh, he brought in several acts. Number one, the exercise of the common prayer book in every form of worship. And in Scotland, it was Presbyterians forced to adopt the Anglican form of worship with the prayer book and also an Anglican preacher. Well, that didn't sit well. In 1662 was the year of the great ejection, when under Charles II, over 2,000 ministers were put out of their pulpits because they would not sign to use the common book of prayer. Those were the days of John Bunyan, when he was imprisoned for many years, and he wrote his Pilgrim's Progress in a prison cell. And in Scotland, this man, Alexander Peden, he was 33 years old when he was ordained in a little church called New Luce, down in the southwest corner of Scotland, just a few miles from Stranraer, where there is a ferry service and where we actually today have a free Presbyterian church. Just a few miles from there, this man, Alexander Peden, commenced his ministry. Three years later, this command was given by the king and Archbishop Laud, his religious secretary, and the mandate went out to use the common book of prayer. Well, he wouldn't do it, and he left the pulpit. And the story tells how he hit the pulpit three times with his Bible and said, Cursed be the man that comes to preach another gospel in this pulpit. Well, for the next 26 years, Alexander Peden was a fugitive in the hills of Scotland. For five of those years, he was imprisoned in the Bass Rock, which is way up on the northeast near Aberdeen, a horrible place that was taken over as a prison place for these uh, non-conformist ministers and people that would not bow the knee. And by a very strange act of providence, he was taken out. He was to be shipped, exiled to Virginia. But he prophesied, and he was sometimes called as Peden the prophet, he prophesied that no ship would ever take him and the others across the ocean. They went down to south of England where they were to board that ship, and the captain refused to take on board these prisoners. Somehow through the confusion, he was free to go and went back to his fugitive days of preaching in the hillsides. These were the days of the conventicles, outdoor preaching, which Charles II tried to ban and used his dragoons to stop. 
Anybody that attempted to preach in the open air was to be imprisoned. Anyone that supported these outdoor field preachers were likewise to be imprisoned. And on went the days of persecution. Alexander Peden saw horrendous things through those years. And at the age of 60, just two years before William of Orange arrived in 1688, which was the uh, introduction of a new monarchy, an act of uh, resolution that gave religious liberty to the people of England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales, just two years before William of Orange arrived, Alexander Peden died, not as a prisoner, but as a free man, preaching the gospel in the hillsides of Scotland. Why am I saying these things tonight? Because Peter says, count it not strange, the fiery trials which are to try you. You see, these men, these covenanters, they didn't turn their back on God and say, this is too difficult. They didn't say God is failing them. They knew that they lived in a world that was hostile to grace, to Christ, and they were willing to suffer. And in that little book of Alexander Peden, there are many stories of individuals who endured. Now, if you move to verse 13 tonight, you will see that Peter speaks to them of their fellowship in Christ's sufferings. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. What is this? Partakers of Christ's sufferings. When you suffer as a Christian, you are enduring not necessarily the same afflictions, but like afflictions for the same reason. You are the butt of the same enmity and opposition that the Lord Jesus endured. And in that way, you take part in the fellowship of the Lord Jesus. You are on his side. And this is the way that we must walk if we would serve him and enjoy his fellowship with us. Now, Peter who wrote these words, he knew this truth directly from the Lord. And I'll not get you to turn to it, but I'll tell you about it. In John 21, uh, that the Lord Jesus said to Peter, there's coming a day that you're going to lay down your life for me. And of course, many questions were going up. What exactly is the Lord referring to? And the Lord gave to Peter the heads up that one day you're going to lay down your life for me. Another will carry you about and you will suffer and lay down your life for me. Now, you think of those words coming from the lips of the Lord Jesus right to you. And here they're living in these days of hostility and opposition from various quarters. And he is saying, count it not strange. You see, the Lord spoke to me and warned me 
that I would have to lay down my life for this gospel that I am preaching, that I would be a partaker of Christ's sufferings. Now, the history on this is not easy to be very certain, but tradition goes a long way to establish that Peter did indeed lay down his life around the year 64 after the burning of the city of Rome. And tradition says that he was martyred, crucified on a cross, upside down. Now, again, the history on that is very difficult to document. But here is one record. It comes from Clement of Rome, who wrote about 90 AD. And he said in his letter to the Corinthians, let us take the noble examples of our own generation. Through jealousy and envy, the greatest and most just pillars of the church were persecuted and came even unto death. Peter, through unjust envy, endured not one or two, but many labors, and at last, having delivered his testimony, departed unto the place of glory due to him. In other words, he died the way the Lord prophesied that he would die. Peter could not run from suffering and serve the Lord, and neither can we. That's the message. Count it not strange to be a partaker of Christ's suffering, we are to rejoice. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been reproached for the name of Christ? Have you ever been offended, shrugged off, despised, because you're a Christian, because you have stood up for the Lord Jesus and for his word? Well, it tells us right here, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. There is a blessing for bearing reproach for the Lord Jesus. There is an inner witness of the Holy Spirit to the heart of the Christian. When you bear witness and bear testimony for the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to minister to your soul and gives you that inner happiness. Now, it's a happy state to be in that you are of the frame of mind to defend the Lord, to stand up for him. And when you do, then you are blessed. Now, in this world, there will be many situations where you will have to bear reproach for Jesus' sake. And when you do, well, praise God, you are glorifying your heavenly Father. Perhaps I may make a suggestion that you take an opportunity today or this week to just speak up for the Lord and enjoy the happiness that comes to the Christian's heart when you stand up for the Lord Jesus, honoring him and his word. This is Ian Gallagher. Thank you for being a part of our program today. May the Lord bless you and be with you until the same time tomorrow. Now are coming the announcements for today. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.lt 
tbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast, and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music